Well, thank you, Bart. And that was a, uh, a lot of material that you just read for us, and so that, uh, so that you all kind of know what's coming. Uh, I asked Bart to read the whole section, but this morning we're going to focus on verse 7 and verse 17 through 19, and talk about what does it mean to remember your leaders, your spiritual leaders. And then next week, we're going to look at the example of Jesus, and what does it mean to go with Jesus outside the camp. And so that will be verse 8 through 16 next week. So we're kind of doing an inclusio. We're going to start with the verse 7 and verse 17 through 19, the outside first, and then we'll, we'll get to the, the meat of it, um, the middle section next week. And then the following week, we plan to uh, kind of wrap up our study of Hebrews. And uh, I misspoke, by the way, in my introduction last week. I, I think I said we're going to start the life of Joseph in uh, July. It's actually going to be in August, so I kind of mixed up my months. But we'll be looking through the last 13 or so chapters of Genesis uh, as we look at the, the story of the life of Joseph starting in August. So uh, our plan is we're going to have a, a two, uh, two sermons, one by Robbie and one by uh, Bill Turner, on looking at to every generation. Uh, that'll, be, that'll kind of take us through the end of July, and then the first Sunday in August we plan to start uh, with the life of Joseph. So if you'd like to start reading in Genesis chapter 37 and kind of going through the life of Joseph on your own, I highly recommend that. But this morning we're talking about remembering your leaders. And we're, we're now getting to the end here, the last words of this letter. And, and that's when you kind of lean in and you, you read every word carefully. What, what does this, this mystery man author want us to remember? And, and the whole book of Hebrews, the whole letter has a whole lot of remembering going on. As, you, as you've noticed, we've been looking back to stories and to imagery of the Old Testament. And, and he does this to help his Hebrew readers better appreciate their Lord and Savior and hero, Jesus Christ. But in our text this morning, Mystery Man tells us to remember our spiritual leaders. Now, maybe you had a spiritual mentor who impacted your life. It's good to stop and remember. What did you learn from him or from her? And I've, I've been blessed by God with several mentors in my life who have impacted me, and you've probably heard me, if you've been with us for some time, share about some of these people in their lives. And I'm grateful to men like Bob Tebow, who took me under his wing when I graduated from college. And he taught me a lot about boldness and love for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then later, I was privileged to spend several years with a missionary doctor, Charles Woodrow, who just taught me by his example a love for God's Word. This man was up in the mornings at 4.30, and he spent two hours every morning in God's Word before he started his day. That The water would come on in their little apartment, usually from about 6 to 7, and that was it. Uh, and so they, they had to fill up buckets. But before that, he'd already spent an hour and a half or two hours just meditating on God's Word, memorizing Scripture. The man memorized just chapter after chapter of the Bible. And, and I learned from him faithfulness as a disciple maker. He went and made disciples. Here he was, a surgeon, working in a very, very remote part of, of Africa, uh, an impoverished place uh, with his hands um, 
in a, in a hospital that for a while didn't even have running water. We would, I would go down to a creek and fill up buckets of water that I would bring over to the hospital. We'd fill them with bleach uh, so that he could scrub up and clean between surgeries. <laughs> and, and so here he was, but as a, even though he's a missionary surgeon, he was a, ultimately a disciple maker, training people who had very little formal education, not only to become surgeons, but, but to be um, pastors and to be evangelists. What a privilege it was to to, to, to learn from his faithfulness and his endurance. Over 30 years in Mozambique, and he's still over there, still going at it. Um, Dr. Charles. Well, maybe you have mentors that have impacted your life, and it's good to stop and remember them. Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it was, a, maybe it was your mom or your dad. Um, maybe it was someone who took you under their wing and said, hey, walk with me as I follow after Christ. Well, Christians are called to Remember their leaders, and, and here we just want to be clear that Mystery Man is talking about spiritual leaders versus civil leaders or leaders in the marketplace. And, and, and we know that because he clarifies those who spoke to you the Word of God, those who taught you God's Word. And you know, there's a sense of honor in the command to remember. Now, verse 7 likely refers to past leaders, and we, I say that because you'll note that he, he uses the past tense here, those who spoke to you the Word of God, although it doesn't have to mean necessarily years ago. It might have been last week, someone who spoke to you, taught you God's Word. But, but the primary context here in the progression of these verses, especially as we get into verses 17 through 19, is that it's talking about your present spiritual leaders, actually, which are the elders of your local church. And we'll see that as we, as we get to verses 17 through 19. And so as I've, I've looked at this uh, text and prayed over it this week, how should we approach this? I divided it up into three main points we're going to look at. And, and if you um, are just visiting with us, um, we've been going through Hebrews for about a year now, and every week inside your worship guide, you'll find a, a, a sermon outline here. This might help you. Uh, it has all of the scriptures that we're going to be looking at printed out for you, and a few blanks in there. Some of the kids like to fill those out. Um, and, and so the three points this morning are, first of all, the responsibility of church members. And then the second point, if you flip it over on the back, is the responsibilities of church leaders. And then finally, we're going to consider the responsibility that we all have to pray for one another. And Brother Chris, I really appreciate the way you let us out without us even talking about that. Um, thank you, Rusty, for praying for us as, as leaders. So let's talk about the responsibilities of church members. Well, first of all, we've already looked at this verse, but it, Hebrews 13, 7 says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So whether you're thinking about a spiritual leader, past or present, you should consider their way of life, that is, how they live. Now, our, our spiritual leaders here at Rocky are called elders, and they're not selected because of their positions of power in our culture or because of personal accomplishment that they have made in the marketplace. The reason that our elders have been selected is because of their character and because of their competency. And what we mean by competency is their ability and willingness to teach the Word of God. 
Now, our elders, including myself, I'm an elder here, are not superheroes. We are not bulletproof from sin. But we do seek and, and uh, want to model the qualities that the Bible gives us in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, which really is a description of the exemplary Christian life that all Christians should seek to live by. So you can turn there if you like. We have the words for the screen. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. I believe we'll get those up there pronto. Which says, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now, as I, as I mentioned to you, none of us elders do this perfectly. There's only one person who's ever been fully above reproach, and that is the great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Christ, that we seek to follow as we serve as his under-shepherds. But the ark, the, the bent of our lives, should model 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. And it's been a joy for me to serve with these brothers. And I can tell you that my observation of my brothers is that they seek to, uh, for this to be true in their lives. Now let me encourage you to get to know your elders so that you can consider and observe their lives. And, and one way for, for you to do this, especially if you're just joining us, but some of you who have been for, around for a while, um, th this may apply to you as well. And that would be, I would like to encourage you to attend the nine o'clock adult Bible fellowships. And, and, and the reason that we have this time, uh, of course, the it's a wonderful time of, of teaching our children in, in their Sunday school classes. But as adults, we're not desiring to just simply give you another sermon. Okay, it can easily turn into that. Um, and it's just easy. I think we all, you know, we're a very teaching-oriented church, which is wonderful because we love God's Word. But the idea here is as we um, teach and as we do studies, sometimes it's through uh, books of the Bible, sometimes other books that help us apply biblical truth to our lives. What we want to do is to fellowship together around the teaching of God's Word and spend time in prayer together so that we can truly build discipleship and get to know one another. And life groups are certainly a wonderful uh, time for that. Uh, an advantage of a life group is by being in a smaller setting in a home, it's easy to let your hair down, get to know each other, pray for one another. Um, but, you know, for, for some, sometimes for some life groups where there's tons of kids, that's really a challenge. So this is a concerted hour from 9 till 10 in which, hey, the kids are being taken care of. And this is a chance for you adults to, to build relationships together around the Word. But the way that we have designed these is we've structured them such 
that every adult Bible fellowship has one or two or maybe even three elders who shepherd and lead that group. And so the idea is for you to be able to, during that time, build a relationship with your elder who helps shepherd you, such that when you get to a time of crisis in your life, you have a relationship on, 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 on which to call. And so that your, your elders can better know how you're doing. And so that's really why we've designed adult Bible fellowships and structured them the way they are today, so that we, as well as, as shepherds and elders, know you and how you're doing. And, and so if, you know, we don't just, if, if, if you know, that, that at least minimizes the chances of someone just dropping off the, the radar and maybe being in, in, in physical need or great spiritual need without us knowing. Now, not all of you attend ABFs, but every one of you are assigned to one, whether you know it or not. So if you look in the directory, you'll notice next to your name, you're in an ABF one, two, or three, even if you don't regularly attend. Now, you have the choice to say, hey, I'd rather be in one or three. But the reason being is so that we as elders can pray for you and, and recognize that, hey, we are responsible for, for your souls. And so I want to encourage you, if you are not uh, regularly attending an ABF to do so. Uh, I invite you humbly, but with love to do so. And this will help you get to know your elders so that you can indeed consider how they live. But secondly, we read here that we are to imitate the faith of our spiritual leaders. And, and what that tells me is that we are designed as Christians to live in community with other Christians and to imitate the spiritual walk of other Christians. And the reason for that is no one is a spiritual island. If you've been around here for a while and you've heard me say this, say it again with me. A lone ranger is a dead ranger. Spiritually. That's what's going to happen to you if, you if you try to isolate yourself and say, I don't need anybody else. I got my Bible. I got Jesus. All right, a lone ranger spiritually is a dead ranger. Jesus sent his disciples out in twos, okay, and he spent time in spiritual community, and he's called us as a church to live in spiritual community and to learn about what it means to walk by faith and not by sight from one another. And so Paul wrote to the Christians in the ancient city of Corinth, he said in 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He wrote to his disciple Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. He said to him, you, however, have followed my teaching, but not only his teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. Now, now why was Timothy able to imitate Paul's faith? and his conduct, and his patience, and his love, his steadfastness, his persecution, suffering. It's because Timothy spent a whole lot of time with Paul. So we need to spend time together. So let me encourage you as a church to spend time with your elders as much as you can and get to know them so that you can observe and imitate these things in them. And by extension, uh, principle of extension, I would encourage you to, to find and read spiritual biographies from leaders and heroes of the faith 
from the past imitate their faith. I, I don't know about you, but I have been greatly encouraged by reading uh, uh, different spiritual biographies of, of leaders and of, of, of missionaries and those who have, have, have stepped out of their comfort zone and, and followed after Christ, oftentimes through hardship. And, and, and their stories and the way they did it in, inspire me to seek to do it right. But I, I do pray that, that you can look at your elders here at Rocky and also learn from them and imitate their faith. Because I have. I've, I've watched my brother Elder Barry trust the Lord and walk by faith through trauma. I remember when his, when his wife had a stroke five to six years ago. I, I watched him just care for her with a great deal of faith in God's providence. And then when he himself endured cancer and even a fall off his roof, he, he endured that with faith and continued ministering to people and to our church, even as he was going through uh, radiation, and even as he was recovering from this, from this fall. I did, I, there was just a love for God. I've, I've, I've learned about faith watching my brother Billy serve people. He's a man that when I think of faith in action, I think of Billy Moore. You know, those of you who know Billy know that he's the first man to re- respond to needs. The man loves to serve, whether it's cutting a tree off your house or helping you move or helping fix things that break in your home or helping you cook a meal for men's prayer breakfast. He's a man who loves to serve. And then there's my brother, Bill Turner. Now, you've, you've noticed maybe if, if you're just with us, we actually have three elders named Bill. Okay, so that can become a little bit of a challenge. So we have Billy, we have Elder Barry, who I'm not sure if he's here this morning or not, maybe traveling. Um, uh, it, well, that's Bill Barry, so Elder Barry is, is his name. And, and Bill has a number of nicknames. You know, there's Bootstrap Bill, you know, William Turner. Um, there's Cardiac Bill, which I call him now and then, and the man loves fried chicken. He'd be very happy if every, very happy if every single staff, you know, uh, lunch was over at Danny's Fried Chicken or Kentucky Fried Chicken. But usually, usually we call him T-Bill, just Bill Turner. I don't know. We call him T-Bill. Well, let me tell you something. This guy is willing to roll up his sleeves and, and minister to people in crisis. I appreciate it. Bill's a servant. If somebody needs a bus driver, he's happy to drop what he's doing and go drive the bus, all right? Or to serve in what, with whatever needs to be done, but he is willing to spend time with you um, walking through what does Scripture have to say about how to walk by faith and not by sight in your time of need. And I greatly appreciate that. Bart has been an example to all of us of the endurance of faith. Bart, I've watched you worship Jesus even through, as you've struggled through limited function of your body following this wreck that you had over a, well over a year ago. I've seen him give God praise through his weakness instead of giving in to self-pity. And what an example of enduring in faith. I've learned from Dr. Joshua what it looks like to have loving compassion on people when they're hurting. Joshua loves to care for sick members, not only for their, their bodies when they're sick, but, but for their souls. And I really appreciate your, your heart, Joshua. I know you're a busy guy, but I love the fact that, that instead of coming to church and saying, hey, look, I don't want, my, you know, I don't want to have to think like a doctor today, you're, you, you love it when people come up to you uh, with, with needs. And there's not a lot of doctors like that. I can tell you my dad was a physician, or is, and, and he really didn't love it. He, he got tired of being a doctor all the time, okay? So he didn't love being doctor at church. 
Whereas Joshua's told me he prefers that than being doctor in the ER. <laughs> These days, maybe that's a little easier to understand. Everybody's upset and mad. And then my brother Mo Bandy, Ken Bandy, right? Um, Ken is a man of prayer. On, on Wednesday nights, there's not a whole lot of people dialing in, but Ken is there online leading a, a small group of prayer warriors praying for you. Uh, Ken is a man who has deep wisdom that comes from an intimate walk with Christ. So when we're in elder meetings, I often am, am waiting, and sometimes I have to draw it out of him, but I, I, look, I look to Ken. I, I want to hear what he has to say when there's something that's difficult ahead of us. He's a man of wisdom that comes from a humble dependence and, 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 and a faithfulness, a faithful walk with Christ. So I have, I have learned from my fellow elders and I seek to imitate their faith, and I hope you can and do and will as well. But what we see in this text here, in verse 7, we see the importance of, of considering. That would be knowing, thinking about, and imitating. But here in verse 17, we see two words, and that would be obedience and submission, that we should obey and submit to our spiritual leaders. Now, again, I want to clarify something. Romans 13 talks about respecting and submitting to civil authorities. But notice here, that is not what the author is talking about here. In Hebrews 13, Mystery Man is talking about spiritual leaders. That would be elders that were to obey. So look at the text. Verse 17 says, and I think we've got this. I just don't see it back in, in, in the back. Oh, now I do. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Well, now, at this point, if you're like me, you might think, well, that's easy for you to say, Pastor Troy. You're one of those guys, right? Are you basically saying, submit to me, obey me? How can you preach like that? Isn't that a little bit self-serving? Well, good question. Maybe you thought that, maybe you didn't, but I've sat in lots of pews. Those kinds of thoughts come to my mind. And so my response would be two, twofold. First of all, I didn't make this up, okay? God did, and the Holy Spirit put in the Bible for our edification. But secondly... My second answer to that question is that, you know what? I'm in the same boat with you because this command to obey and submit to spiritual leaders also applies to me. I submit also to my elders. Here at this church, we have a plurality of elders. And so what that means is that I don't uh, call the shots alone or by myself. I've got Article 5 of our church constitution, which explains why we do this. And so it states that in the scriptures, those who have the responsibility for the spiritual rule and care of the church are called pastors, that's in Ephesians 4, 11, elders, Acts 14, 23, and, and 20, 17, and overseers, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. These different titles are used to refer to the same office of spiritual leadership. The Bible teaches that the congregation is spiritually accountable to the elders 
And the elders are accountable to God, Hebrews 13, 17, which is this very verse that we're looking at this morning. Therefore, the decision-making authority of the church is vested in the elders who function under the lordship of Christ. They shall function not as dictators, but as humble leaders who are sensitive to God and to the needs of the church. The members of the church fill an important role in assisting the elders in reaching decisions. And it continues on, talks about how we do that with polling when there are big decisions, um, trying to always make sure that we're available um, for input. Uh, and again, as I think Bart mentioned, elders at rockybybaptist.org or elders at rbbc.org uh, comes to all of us. We'd love to hear from you. And, um, but we also mutually submit to one another. And one of, those, one of the things that our Constitution as a church spells out is that when we make decisions, it's by consensus. And as a senior pastor, I don't have like two votes and everyone else gets one, right? It's a round table. And, and so that means that at times we may disagree, but we can't move forward until we all come to a consensus of agreement, not just outvoting each other, but a mutual agreement together. And, and, and so that can take time. In fact, that means decisions. Sometimes, you know, as I put an agenda together, I'll think, okay, this is a quick hitter. And, and when, they, when my brothers see that in the, in the agendas, in the notes, as we're preparing for meetings, they kind of laugh, you know, a quick hitter. You know, you think, yeah, that'll take five minutes. And, you know, an hour and a half later, you know, we're still working on it. And, and so, so sometimes it does take longer, but our decisions are stronger in the end. You've probably heard me before talk about a pencil. You can break a pencil pretty quickly, but if you take, you take seven pencils and you wrap them really tight together, that's a whole lot harder to break, right? There's an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together, and that's what we seek to do. So several thoughts that I'd like to share with you on obeying and submitting to elders in the church. Well, first of all, submitting to anyone is countercultural today. It goes against our culture. For a long time now in America, every man has been a king, you know, an island. Nobody can tell me what to do. And, and nowadays uh, in our culture, we see a lot of fast changes uh, and I don't think this is true uh, with you ladies in our church, but we're getting more of a mindset that every woman is a warlord. If every man's a king, every woman's a warlord. And basically, it's getting my way, and I will destroy you. Is that not true? So it's countercultural, this biblical idea of submitting to one another. But biblical leadership is humble leadership, that of an under shepherd. True leadership seeks to inspire people to follow Christ, to inspire people to greatness, to doing things that, that, that they don't think they can do. That's humble leadership, where you inspire not just by words, but by example. And so biblical submission to elders is also not blind, mindless obedience. We're called to follow our elders as they follow Christ by obeying his word. And so I don't think that every Christian leader who has a following should. What I, what I mean is, in my view, it's dangerous to be or to follow with too much devotion 
a celebrity Christian leader. I, I almost wonder if the term celebrity and Christian together is an oxymoron. How well can you really consider the lifestyle of a celebrity Christian leader whom you've never met? In this day and age, I mean, you know, you can kind of pick your favorite pastor and stream all that stuff, but do you know them? Have you been able to observe their life? Now, there are exceptions. I feel like because of the corpus of his writings and the number of sermons I've been able to hear, I feel like John Piper, even though I've met him once briefly, is a man I know and I respect and I would follow even though he's not my pastor. But I think it's, it's an exception to the rule we need to, and I don't think he'd say, put me on a pedestal. In fact, I think he's the guy who says the opposite of that. I'm a broken sinner. But the bottom line is that the Bereans were commended for fact-checking the Apostle Paul's teaching with the Word of God. And, and so, so should we, with humility, not a, not a fact-check because we don't want to have to listen and we want to prove someone wrong, but because we hold God's word high, uh, with, it, with a, a heart of submission, a heart of, of, of believing the best and wanting to follow, but still holding the word of God as our ultimate authority. And I can tell you that every one of the elders that I serve with, if they taught something or modeled something contrary to the word of God, they'd want to know. They'd want that to be brought to their attention with grace and humility. But as we're going to discuss in a minute, being held accountable by God for souls is serious business. So please help your elders out. Hebrews 13, 17, B says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Spiritual leadership is harder than it looks. Moses groaned time and again under the shepherd's mantle. And I don't think that there's an elder or a pastor who hasn't groaned at times. And I've groaned. Let me tell you, COVID was not an easy time for me to serve as a pastor. But honestly, the majority of shepherding at Rocky has been a delight. John, the apostle, uh, the, the aged apostle, right? It writes the letter of 3 John, one chapter. In verse 4, he writes, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. While I'm not as old as John, I can say that this is my feeling when I think about our church family, okay? Um, there, certain, certainly there are times I, I groan when I see someone uh, making a sinful decision, okay? Or when I see two sisters or brothers uh, in conflict, um, and, and, you know, maybe buttressing and proof texting their own sinful pride with scripture even. That's the worst, right? When we put lipstick on the pig. Um, and Christians are terrible at that sometimes. But let me tell you that, that overall, the experience that I've had as a pastor at Rocky has been one of joy. And it gives me great joy to see something like what happened here last week. 70 volunteers, and many of them were our youth. So young people, great job. They came out, and they gave their time and their energy, and they did it with, like, all their hearts here, ministering at kids' worship camp, teaching kids how to worship Jesus. 140, 150 kids, I think it was, 70 volunteers. I praise God for that. Come back tonight, by the way. It's going to be great listening to our kids sing. 
and, and, and seeing worship to God and, and know that that's the fruit of a lot of great ministry that a lot of our young people did, as well as some of our older people did this last week. It gives me joy to see behind-the-scenes generosity of church members as they give to missions and to needs that, that a lot of people don't get to see. Sometimes I get to see some of that, and, and that just brings joy. People stepping out in faith through adoption and, and fostering and hospitality and benevolence ministry and evangelism. And let me tell you, I, I love that last one a lot. I love it when people ask me, they'll send me an email or something like this and, and say, hey, would you pray for me because I, I'm trying to share the gospel with my neighbor or, or my friend. Uh, yeah, I got, I got lunch with them tomorrow, and man, I'm a little nervous about this. Man, I love it. I love praying for stuff like that. And I can tell you all your elders would love to hear uh, more of that, so we might pray for you as you step out in faith. But finally, let me encourage church membership. Some of you maybe, and, and most of you in this room are, are members at Rocky, but some of you may be visiting. Maybe you've been here for a while, and you might think, well, what does it matter? You know, I mean, I'm here. Uh, isn't there the universal church? I mean, everybody who's in Christ belongs to the universal church. And that is true, but the process of church membership is the process of submitting to elder watch care. And so this helps us know who we're accountable before God to actually shepherd. And so we will pray for you, whether you're a member of the church or not. If you're in need and you make that known, we'll pray for you. But if, if you're a member of this church and you get into distress, we'll not only pray for you, we'll pursue you. We'll, 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 we, will, we will fight for you. We'll come to the hospital. We'll come to your home. If you've dropped off the radar because, and, and you're in need, we're responsible for you before our holy God. So we'll not only pray for you, we'll pursue you. And membership is how we know whom we're truly responsible for. So I want to move now into part two, and that would be the responsibilities of church leaders. And now I'm talking specifically to my fellow elders, all right? Now, some of you are deacons, some of you are leaders of ministry teams, so some of these principles apply to you as well. But specifically, I'm talking to my fellow elders who have, uh, 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 who have the responsibility before a holy God of your soul, according to this text. And, and I hope that I'm talking to some more future elders. And, and what comes to my mind when, when I read this text is what a challenge. We will give an account to God for our shepherding. And I, you know, as I was reading, uh, as we were kind of talking about the, the, the verses before this, um, uh, I did not see my elders kind of sitting up, sitting back saying, that's right, you guys got to obey me. You, you know the kind of look I saw in their eyes? was more like deer in the headlights, okay? Uh, because we get this. This is a responsibility before God. And, and brothers, Hebrews says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So brothers, I've got a few things for you. And there are, you can see on the back of your worship guide, there are blanks. Kids, you can fill those in. But this is specifically for your elders. And first of all, live a life that stands up to examination, brothers. Walk in a worthy manner. Integrity means that our walk should match 
our talk. And that means we need to keep a watch out every day for sin. In his book, The Conviction to Lead, which was not written just to pastors, it was written for leaders across the board, Christian leaders, Dr. Moeller writes, as a community of character, Christians are to reflect the moral commitments to which we are called. And then he specifically applies that to the church. He says, within the church, leadership falls on those whose light shines with integrity and power. The effective leader knows that the expectation of character begins at the top. Those we lead will expect us to live and to lead in alignment with our convictions. They will not be satisfied with character that is lived out only in public, a pretense of our real selves. They are hungry and thirsty for real leadership and real leaders. They have seen where leadership without character leads, and they want no part of it. Discipleship, brothers, means that we should live our lives transparently, letting others close so that they may observe and imitate our faith. And you know, that's not always easy. In fact, that will, ent- that will entail some self-denial of our time. There may be football games we'd like to watch on a Saturday that we can't, right? There may be things that we'd like to do on a, on a Tuesday night that we can't because we need, we need to meet together with the council of elders. There may be times in which we need to be up late at night in prayer for someone or even ministering to someone. But it will also entail not only self-denial of our time, but our privacy. Because we've got to lead by example. True leadership isn't just taught, it's caught. And so we've got to open up. And that means letting people know that we are flawed. We are not perfect people. We have sins that we have to daily confess before the Lord. So let's live a life that stands up to expectation, brothers. But let's also walk by a faith that is worth imitating. Walk by a faith worth imitating. The only way that we can do that is if we truly keep our eyes on Jesus. We have to follow him, and it's got to be every day. We have a responsibility to model faith for the church. And and not only should we model faith, we need to show them by our example what faithfulness looks like. What does that look like? Our, 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 Our church members need to be able to look to us to try to figure that one out. What does that look like in, in, in real life? So Peter writes to the elders in 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 1. He writes, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. And that's interesting. We think of Peter as an apostle, but he calls himself an elder here. As a fellow elder and as a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, here's what he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, but not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock, being examples to the flock. So brothers, live a life that stands up to examination, walk by a faith that is worth imitating, and then third, faithfully shepherd 
souls. You know, keeping watch over souls in the original language literally means to keep oneself awake, to, to keep oneself awake in a similar way that shepherds would stay awake watching over their flocks. If they fell asleep, maybe coyotes, wolves would come along. So the idea here is keeping oneself awake. And you know what? They're, they're, and of course, I think this is metaphorical, but it's also physical sometimes. There are times when it is right to wake up in the middle of the night concerned for a church member and to pray for them, not to just compartmentalize it aside, but to keep watch for them in prayer. Shepherding souls includes the responsibility of teaching the Word, which is one of the primary roles that we see of an elder in the Bible. Uh, As we saw in Hebrews 13, 7, says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you, not their own ideas, right, or their own manuals of of leadership, but the word of God, those who spoke to you, the word of God. So regularly teaching the word is a privilege, but it's also a huge responsibility. In fact, that's what James means. He's not talking to educators, he's talking to elders. When he says in verse 1 of chapter 3, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That puts a chill down my spine. And it means that I commit my sermons to prayer ahead of time. And I I long for, as we'll get to here in a second, others to pray for me there as well. Shepherding souls means spending time with people, not just with our circle of friends, but with people who have real needs. But more importantly, shepherding souls means praying for the sheep. And as, as Bart mentioned, we do this. We, we regularly as elders pray for you. And if you don't have it, I, I highly recommend you get the app for our church directory. It's got everybody, every member, and many of our regular visitors' photos in there, uh, the names of your kids, and we just roll right through that. We do this in elder meetings. We do this in our private lives, and pray for you, as well as the member care list that we have. But as my brother mentioned, we also need your prayers, because we as men and as elders are subject to spiritual attack. You can bet that the devil has a nice big target on every one of our backs. If you want to step up to be an elder, expect to have an increase of spiritual attack. Expect for there to be more temptation instead of less temptation. And the, the, and, and the truth is we don't even need the devil there. We're sinners. And so we're subject to the temptations of our own flesh. And we live in a society that's becoming increasingly hostile to biblical principles, to obeying and holding high the Word of God. And there's many attempts today to make believing what the Bible says about things like marriage hate speech. And who do you think they're going to come after first? So we need you to pray for us. And and this this leads to really the conclusion here. Um, I would say land the plane. Maybe I should say you know, park the train. But the responsibility for all of us, part three, to pray for one another. The, this text ends, Hebrews 13, 18 and 9, with, with a, a plea from mystery man himself. 
And again, it, it might be easier to unpack these verses if I knew who this guy was, who wrote this, okay? Um, we can speculate, but we don't truly know. There's reasons for and against pretty much, you know, anyone from Paul to Apollos, okay? Um, but he says, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. So we don't know who this author is. We don't even know the circumstances of how he wrote this book. Maybe he was in jail. It kind of seems like that, maybe. Okay, but mystery man here, it's clear that he's being kept away from this Hebrew church whom he loves. He likely planted this church. Might even be a pastor of this church in jail. We just don't know. We can only speculate. But what we do know is that he believes that if they pray, it will change things. He will be restored to them sooner if they pray, he says. So we see here that mystery man believes in the power of prayer because he believes that our sovereign God responds to prayer. And, and so do we, I hope. I, I hope. Th- th- this last week I was, I, I spent a couple hours with another pastor of a church in our town uh, it's actually a little bit larger than ours. Um, had a good time with him. Um, and we, we were talking about um, the makeup of our people here in Niceville. And a lot of this is the military um, influence, which we love. Both of us really appreciate. And how much we appreciate how our people are quick to action, like quick to respond to needs, you know, quick to mobilize to do stuff. And appreciate, uh, he brought this up, and I was like, absolutely, absolutely love the teaching of the word, like want to be taught the word of God. And I, I praise God for that. I praise God for that about you, that you don't want me to come up here with a bunch of self-help stuff. You want God's word. You recognize that this is God's disclosure of himself and of all that is true and right and helpful to us. So we were kind of rejoicing in this together, but the topic of prayer came up. And he mentioned how hard it is to get people together to pray for anything. And I was like, you know what? That's my experience too. We are not great at corporate prayer. And, and I hope that's an exception to what your private lives are like. But, but I, I wonder that because we, we're such an action-oriented group of people, right? And a truth-oriented group of people, which I'm glad for both. But, but maybe we're so quick to do stuff that sometimes it's in our own strength instead of History. Just think about that. If you stop and you spend an hour in prayer, does that seem like a waste of time to you? Be honest with yourselves. Does spending an hour not talking about prayer, you know, getting all the relational stuff with the request, which is good, but just praying to God for an hour, does that seem like a waste of time? Is that, is that what, what is borne out by your practice? I have to ask myself that too, because I'm kind of an action guy, uh, quick to try to do stuff, as opposed to stopping and, and communing and reflecting and asking. But if we truly believe that God is omnipotent, that is, he can do anything, all powers in his hands. Prayer is the most productive thing any of us could do. Pastor Kent Hughes writes, how different the modern church would be if the majority of its people prayed for its pastors and lay leadership. 
There would be supernatural suspensions of business as usual worship. There would be times of inexplicable visitations from the Holy Spirit. The leadership vacuum would evaporate. There would be more conversions. This week I was reading some words from Charles Spurgeon to his church in London. And you know, they had what they called the boiler room or the engine room. It's a room with an actual boiler in it, okay? Kind of hot, probably kind of wet. Um, that, that, that produced the hot water that ran through the radiators that, that heated their, their building, right? And a group of people would meet there during, this, during the message, during the, during the worship service to pray for God's spirit to, to, to you know, shake the place and shake hearts and change lives. And I was reading how Spurgeon one morning got up there and he just said, are you praying for me, church? I I fear some of you have failed to do that because I'm not feeling it this morning. Those weren't his words. That's a paraphrase. His words were way more eloquent. And, And sometimes I wonder, do you guys pray for me? Do you pray for the elders before a worship service? Do you pray for Chris and our musicians? Do, do, or do you just kind of show up as a consumer? Because we need you to pray for us, that God would do something here. You know, before the service, Chris and I were asking the Lord to save a soul today. Don't we want to see souls saved? Do you, do you want to see God move in our church at Rocky? Well, pray for us. Do, do you want sermons and, and services to change lives? Do you want to see more souls saved? Pray for us. Please pray. I wish that we had more of a concerted prayer ministry at Rocky. But I think to get there, we're just going to need the Holy Spirit to stir people up. That's, that's when power happens. When the Holy Spirit stirs up, gives, gives you an unction to get something done. And then we just try to help give you a little direction and say, let's get it done together. Well, we need, brothers and sisters, to pray for one another. So pray for us as leaders, and we'll keep praying for you. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord God, I confess, even as I exhort, that I don't spend enough time in prayer to you, just starting with a humble posture of of worship and communion and enjoyment and delight but also just laying it all out, asking for your help for everything. Lord, I pray that we would be a praying people that would start first thing in the morning, but that we would pray without ceasing throughout our day, and that it would become very normal for us, Lord, uh, to pray with one another, to to just long to gather together to pray when people ask us for uh, help or or mention a need, that we would just stop with them and put a hand on their shoulder and pray for them. Um, Lord, help us learn to just pray with... um, with great unction together. Lord, I pray there are times, whether they be as elders or whether they be in life groups or quads or Bible studies, um, Lord, I, I pray that when we do pray that we would spend more time talking to the God of this universe, to you who can do something about it rather than to each other about the need. Lord, make us people um, who are passionate about prayer. I pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.